I'm ready to play fantasy. I know I turn two in a day, but the lace isn't hot in my veins. I can turn two in every way, so I turn to you two today and smash play. I'm prepared to listen. The X flipping whip got me looking way past the pitches. Statistics all that I know, and I know that who is on first, he can say I'm ready to go. <laughs> I ain't trying to steal second or third. Cause I wanna win first How am I to put all of these numbers to words I know the terms from A to Z It's like a gift and a curse I know the difference between a splitter and a curve But if I can't put it in the points Man, then what's it worth? I need the truth I need knowledge Found this podcast with all of it But what they call it? Turn two Turn two, Turn two. What it do? Hey everybody, welcome back to the Turn 2 Podcast. We are back doing our positional uh, preview shows, doing some starting pitching finally, and no better person to bring in for starting pitching preview part one than Mr. Alex Fast from Pitcher List. Welcome to the show, buddy. You guys, thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. We had a nice 45-minute warm-up last week, uh, which I promptly ruined. And I also appreciate you saying that, knowing that you're going to have the second best person in Nick Pollock on tomorrow night. So that, <laughs> that, that really makes me feel happy. And yeah, Nick will be coming in to clean up after after everything we don't do, do tonight. <laughs> yeah, exactly. He can correct everything I'm about to get wrong. <laughs> and also on the show, like always, is uh, Mr. John L., Mr. MLB Moving Averages himself. Welcome back to the show. Loving it, man. What's up, everyone? So excited. We're kind of staying on brand now, bringing in the experts, right? We did projections and we got Derek Cardi and we're doing pitching. So, you know, we brought in the pitcher list boys and I'm super excited to have a fellow Brooklyn guy, Alex here. I'm a huge fan, longtime follower and, you know, special thanks because he's really modest and probably wouldn't say it, but he's taking his own personal time out to help me with uh, questions I've had in my own analysis. And thank you very much, Alex. He's a great guy, man. No, it's it's a pleasure. I'm really I'm happy to finally be talking to you. It's great. I I, I absolutely love it. All right, let's see if you still think that in a half hour. Or so. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so we're we're all in the uh, the the great fantasy baseball invitational for everyone listening who's not aware what that is. It's basically the gigantic um, industry wide tournament of sorts, uh, like a big overall where there's about 25, I think, roto leagues with an overall winner. Um, 15 teams. Me and Alex both are in different leagues. Both drew the 15 um, pick. So that's an interesting spot to be. I believe, John, you are in the seven or eight, is it? Yeah, I got the seven spot and I was super excited because I'm really habitually a wheel player and I actually moved the seven hole in the spot where I got it and I had swapped it with the 15. So I thank you. I wouldn't have gotten the seven. I would have been sitting there with you guys on the wheel, which to be honest, in a competition with an overall, I find can be tough to reconcile those steals. Frankly, you know, me and Alex started with the same exact team. Um, we saw uh, Jose so Ramirez and, and Walker Bueller, which we're going to get start. into Walker Bueller real fast. John, how did you start? What was your first two picks today? Okay. At the seven hole, uh, I actually caught a little bit of guff in the chats and stuff. Then I went with Trevor Story, you know, somebody that I see who has a pathway to the number one overall player. You know, a guy could be a perennial kind of MVP, everything, and all of those core shares. But I did choose him over the other kind of stud shortstop. So Trey Turner was there, as was Lindor. And I was kind of, you know, pulling threads and hair. I, have and a, and overall, I, I, have no, I don't know why anyone would argue with that in overall. He's in course field. He has the ability to steal a ton of bases. If you're going to go for – if you're going to go for ceiling, you know, he doesn't get injured and he's, you know, he, he can, he can do everything. So I'm, I'm yeah, cool with that. That's, 
that's kind of where I was. And then on the rap, I was debating like Snell, but I thought maybe Snell, who's kind of like a my guy, maybe mid two was a little bit too early. And Stalling Marte was available. And he's, you know, another guy like Story that checks so many boxes where you could get, you know, real true steals plus power without sacrificing average. So I kind of stayed with that balance package and started with Story and Marte, hoping that I'm going to have a lot of freedom going forward with my offense. All right. Um, well, you said you considered Blake Snell, which is good because this is how we're going to start the top 40 starting pitching uh, that we're going to try to cover tonight. Uh, at the very beginning, you have the top four guys. You have Garrett Cole, Jacob DeGrom, Max Scherzer, and Justin Verlander. Um, a couple other people in the next tier, Chris Sale and Blake Snell, combined with Scherzer, have a little bit of injury concerns, and their ADP is seen. Uh, you've been getting them at a discount, essentially, because of it. So did that enter into why you didn't take Blake Snell at all, or is it just a matter of roster construction for you? You wanted to get those steals. Yeah, well, it's, it's a little bit of everything. I, I think it's a combination of me maybe liking some other you know, pitchers later and there being less of a drop-off with the pitchers that I was hoping to get on this you know, third round that I'm looking at right now and I'm hoping like a Luis Castillo falls to me. So I feel like maybe the difference between Snell and Castillo was less – than I could get as far as a balanced hitting profile and a drop down from Marte. Gotcha. All right. Well, starting with those top four guys, like I said, you, again, uh, yeah, Cole DeGrom, um, Scherzer, and Justin Verlander. Uh, it seemed to be a complete one through four, at least in the very beginning, but one guy seems to have been falling further and further from the pack, and that's Max Scherzer, with many people going Walker Bueller even over him, uh, if not more people, because of that uh, kind of that back. Um, so, Alex, what – is your take on Max Scherzer? Are you worried about him at all? I mean, he went 170 innings with a sub three RA, 103 WHIP. Still struck out 243 people. Um, career best, 94.9 fastball velocity. So, um, are you are you have any worry about Max Scherzer? Or you just expect him to be the amazing pitcher he always is. I, I worry about him the way I worry about any other pitcher. I mean, I know that back injuries can be a little bit scary and they're often pretty recurring. Um, I, I did, oddly enough, speak to a doctor about his particular back injury, and he said that there is no more particular risk with his injury than there would be with any other back injury, which is great for me to hear. Um, if you look at Max Scherzer's career, starting from 2014, moving all the way up to 2019, his K rate and his swinging strike rate have increased every single year. That, that is truly unprecedented. I mean, we're talking about a guy who is now 35, I believe, going into his age 36 season, and he posted a career-high 16.3% swinging strike rate. Even if there are back issues, you're still going to get 160, 170 innings out of him that are going to be absolutely quality. It's more than likely going to be a sub-3 ERA. He's still going to get you the wins. He's still going to get you the Ks. And for me personally, I like him a little bit better than Bueller. Obviously, you fine. Maybe you could say Bueller's a little bit less of an injury risk, but there's just a, a fuller arsenal with Max Scherzer, right? It's not just the fastball like it is for, for Walker Bueller. I would love it if Bueller increased that curveball rate, and I, I think that he is going to, and I think there's a new tier for him. But when it comes to those two guys, Scherzer's arsenal is just so full. He's been there before. He, I mean, you've seen him on the mound. Like that one game when he got a black eye and still managed to strike out like 11 guys that next day, I was like willing to, I've never been willing to die for a man so much that I have been <laughs> Max Scherzer in that one start. The thing, and I listed all the numbers for him, 321 BABIP, 11.6 home run to fly ball rate, which 
for him, he can do better. <laughs> so, 100%. I mean, you, I mean, I said three, sub three ERA, 103 whip, 243 Ks and 107 innings pitched. I mean, forget it. I mean, even if he's just as injured as last year, he could theoretically be much better than even what we saw. It. It's insane. Um, what I mean, any thoughts on Max Scherzer, John? Yeah, I just – I'm really one of those people guilty of kind of glossing past him, and you touched on the reasons, and none of them are that great, honestly. You know, and I'm always open to have my mind changed. And sure. as I was kind of, you know, pulling the threads on, on comparing these guys and contrasting them, I really find I'm already leaning with Alex. Like I, I thought I had Bueller ahead of Max, and I felt like it was very clear, and it's probably based on the durability, like you alluded to, Matt. So it's not like I'm abandoning Bueller here, but man, Max was just really excellent. I mean, on, on a per pitch basis, some of these numbers are just insane. I mean, is you know, to have two different pitches that have better than 20% swinging strike rates, and that's you know, to leave out the curveball that has a 34% cold strike rate. This guy is just buckling people. It's it's really it's astounding to me that I've I've done so many drafts and I have no shares. Yeah, so long story short, everybody, Max Scherzer is very good. <laughs> and you should probably draft him, especially the way Luis Severino, Mike Clevenger, there's you know, Carlos Carrasco, people are starting to go down and a premium's being put at the very top. So, I mean, you know, don't be afraid to draft him. I mean, if obviously there's plenty of people that go pocket aces, there's plenty of people that like to wait on starting pitcher, but you know, if there is a clear tier of the very top people you can depend on and he's still in it. Uh, one person that is no longer still in it is Chris Sale for multiple reasons. I mean, I don't know if you've seen any recent pictures of him, but oh my God, <laughs> is he? Oh, it's I mean, Thunder I know yeah, I mean yeah, he is. Like, I mean he's scary. Best shape of his life. Yeah. <laughs> Best shape of his life. He's certainly a shape. Yeah. Um, it's a line. I mean, he, had that, he had that crazy <laughs> reduced velocity in April, uh, which was which was really concerning for everyone. And he never really got his velocity all the way back. But I mean, he went on a stretch there for two months after April, where he had like a two four four ERA and like a forty percent K rate, um, which was you know insane. His his fastball velocity never really came back. Um, it was around 93. It was 91 in April. So that's like kind of what the concern is where, you know, he'll also uh, wear down down the stretch. And, you know, it, it's amazing he hasn't really got – I mean, people expected him to get injured seven, eight years ago <laughs> at this point, and it just never really happened. Um, and even though he fizzled down the stretch, uh, his Sierra was like far superior than his ERA. So it really wasn't as bad as it seems. So, Alex, what do you kind of – what do you kind of make a Chris Sale? Because – uh, the the red flags are obvious and apparent, but it seems like where he's going in drafts right now, which let me check real quick. He is being drafted as the 11th starting pitcher around 35, which again, wow. Max Scherzer, people are concerned with going around 14, Jack Flaherty, 22, for example. Um, and Mike Clevenger still at 29. <laughs> uh, Chris Sale going at 35. Uh, what do you make of Chris Sale? And are you afraid of him? I mean, I'm definitely afraid of him. I, I I definitely got burned by him last year. He he's he's, it's almost like Max Scherzer with a lower ERA floor, right? Because we saw that four ERA last year, but he still really brought you the K's in that minimal sample size, right? I mean, even though he only worked a, you know fewer than 150 innings, he still gave you a 36 percent K rate. And I know he had the second highest CSW, which is called strikes plus whiffs uh, over total pitches in all of baseball. So they were very, very quality innings towards the second half, right? The, the, the first half was a disaster. And who knows what it could have been. It could have been they 
started his spring training a little bit too late. They babied him a little bit more. I know they are interim managers, so they didn't want to do that anymore this year. They wanted guys pitching a little bit more in spring training, but then he had the pneumonia. So that set him back a couple of days. I just think personally, if there's a guy who's going to be seeing Dr. Andrews in August to get PRP injections into his elbow, it's going to raise some red flags. With that said, where he's going that's fine with me because if he returns to being Chris Sale, you have arguably a top three pitcher in all of baseball. I think if you're going to get him, you need to try and mitigate the risk of him with, you know, something that's a, a, a little bit, uh, I don't know about safer. Like I, I'm not putting Chris Sale and you Darvish together, for example. That's just yeah. like way too much volatility. I'm not doing Chris Sale. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Seriously. <laughs> like him and Tyler Glass now would be like an absolute nightmare. You know, it's actually kind of a fun pairing. Him and Corey Kluber. That to me is very interesting because Corey Kluber is going to get you 200 innings probably unless he has another freak injury. His ratios are not going to kill you and he's not going to have a heck of a lot of strikeouts. But Chris Sale is obviously still going to get you over 200. Just take Sale and Snell back to back. Take Kluber later. Just take out the Cy Young guys that nobody. Yeah, 100 percent. 100 percent. The thing with Sale that's interesting to me is that his slider was still amazing, but everyone is like really afraid of his fastball, especially the velocity. <laughs> but. He's still at a 217, 217 batting average against and like a 12% swing strike rate. So like guess what? His 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 shitty fastball is so much better than everyone, most of everyone else's fastball still. Um, so yeah, there's there's crazy red flags, but even at diminished uh talent, he has the ability to still be amazing. Um I am not drafting him after saying all that. Yeah. It scares the crap out of me. And there's so many other people that I like um that I would much if I really wanted someone. I would take one of those top guys and there's plenty of other mid-tier guys I want. So I'm staying away. John, are you investing at all into Chris Sale? Well, you know, it's always, it's really a price-driven thing. I'm not going to reach, but uh, again, as really like a habitual kind of wheel player, I've had him fall to the 3-4 turn in 15 team leagues. And I think at that point, it's time to, you know, kind of go back to what Alex was saying, which is, this person has a path to being the top overall player in all of fantasy baseball, right? And though, you know, there's a couple obstacles to get to that goal. I think, you know, at that point, it's time to pull the trigger because, you know, there's really just some great stuff with this guy, right? If you just heard us talking about the season, it sounded like it was a total wash, you know, something that might match that 4-4 ERA. But, you know, the XFIP was sub three. There's probably only like, Less than five people that do that for an entire season. In the first place, you know, we posted the plus 13K per nine, 217 XBA, 285 XWOBA. You know, so like for all the kind of warts and crap you got, there's some really, really bright spots. And maybe they're kind of fooling me with that, that I don't know, weird program they tried that now they're discarding to go back to something they used to do, which was more effective. And I hope I'm just not buying these like subjective narratives, but they kind of got me, you know? So if the price is there, they got me. If I'm at the three, four turn or 15 team league, I'm, I'm hoping he falls to me because yeah, just in case he gets out in spring training, I feel if he goes out the first time he pumps a 98 mile an hour fastball, he goes into the second round. Yeah. And that, that's kind of just to tail up <laughs> that real quick. I, I, I mean, he's, that's that's what you want to see. You want to see that first spring training start, and that's going to tell you so much. I mean, even even watching his bullpens uh, last week, 
last year they were so lackadaisical and this year it was like oh okay you're taking a bullpen seriously you're actually putting some effort into this so that first spring training start i'm all over and if that velo is where it should be if it's you know up a little bit from 93 94 then then i'm then i'm i'm back in i think i heard uh nick uh pollock talk about this once like early you you kind of said like like really look like he cares early in the season it kind of was weird how it looked like he didn't actually care <laughs> Like when he was that really brutal star with a low velocity, he didn't exactly look like he was trying to get it up very far. It's it was it was interesting to see. Yeah, he he said himself he was lost. Yeah. Uh, and you're right. It, it's almost like it was a guy who got fed up with everyone saying he can't pitch in September. So he said he would take March or April off. You know, it, it's, yeah. it was like, well, come on, you're killing us here. <laughs> um Blake Snell, I mentioned him earlier. He's going a little earlier, at least uh, in draft champion ADP, uh, than Chris Allen. He's a guy I would I would rather take. I, I'm not really worried about injury going into this season. All of the all of his numbers, I think, are just um, I don't know bad luck because his I mean his peripherals were a hell of a lot better than his ERA of 4.29 suggests. He and he did he did some things differently. He seemed to be like he elevated his fastball a lot more. I don't know if he, he wasn't really changing eye levels consistently. He was just elevating his fastball more and all of his breaking stuff. He was throwing kind of in the lower half and the bottom of the plate. And that seemed to be working for him. At least that's what the peripherals tell us. It's one of those things, but we've seen him how dominant he can be. So it's easy to see how, um, when you see that the, the numbers show, he can pitch better that, you know, that is something that we should believe in. You know, he has, one of the best pitch repertoires in the league, and I'm not afraid to be drafting him at all. I think he's he's actually my favorite bargain of the mid tier because I don't know what it is. Um, I've always liked Blake Snell, but uh, just watching him, I think that he's going to bounce back in a huge way, and he's the guy, at least of these three, that I'm least worried about, at least from an injury perspective, whether that is flawed or not. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I mean, listen, I, I actually couldn't agree more with you here. I mean, so last year with Snell, I mean, we, we call this or Blake, uh, excuse me, uh, Nick deemed this term the Blake Snell blueprint, right? Which is fastballs high, like you said, and then breaking stuff low. And he he does that just so, so effectively. Uh, last year, even with those, you know, reduced innings, he still had the fourth best CSW in baseball, the highest swinging strike rate in all of baseball with a minimum of 100 innings pitched. The issue was he really had to force that, that four-seamer in the zone a lot more than usual. The zone rate in that four-seamer was 60%, which was up 10 ticks from 2018, which is not necessarily a good thing. He wasn't really hitting with his breaking pitches, so he's coming into the zone so much with the fastball to try and either get back into counts or try and get ahead. The zone rates on all of those breaking pitches fell almost, like I think actually across the board, I think almost 10 ticks, some of them, between the curveball, the change, and the slider. They all went down. I don't see that happening again for Chris Sale. I think he's going to have a much better control over his breaking pitches. I know he's revamped his slider in spring training. He's also lost a lot of weight. He says he's changed his diet habits. He's changed his sleeping habits because he's finally taking that seriously and not staying up till 3 a.m. playing Fortnite anymore. So I, I'm, I'm all about that. I forgot he said that. That actually can be a big deal, though, when the, the getting totally. proper sleep, definitely. And I, I, I that is just another reason why you're adding for a reason of a guy I already liked. Um, you you said earlier you were considering taking Blake Snell John in the middle there. Obviously, you would have been you know borderline okay with taking him. So, um, who do you actually prefer between him and Chris Sale? Who uh, Sale is going? Uh, like I said, just a, a little bit after Snell. Yeah, if if I had to choose, it's Snell because I just I just feel a little more certain. You know, um, his injury was fluky where. 
you know, I'm worried Sal's injury might be structural. And, you know, I'm not a doctor, but that's that's really my concern, right? I mean, Snell kind of what broke his foot. He dropped something stupid on his foot, whatever it was. You know, when I see his season, now he's another guy, though limited. You hear about it as if it was a complete waste. And this guy's entire profile just screams, you know, bad luck, right? His XBA was elite, 205. Same for the X-Slug at 327 and the X-Wall by 264. Those numbers just... Jump off the page, couple that with a sub five barrels per batted ball event and a 32% hard hit rate. And it's amazing, you know, this guy gave up what he did. 343 Babbitt might be a little bit of the answer there, right? I mean, uh, he doesn't even get hit hard when they elevate, you know, his fly ball line drive um, MPH is below 92 miles an hour, which is excellent, but he still had a 15.4% home run fly ball rate. So, I think if he went out and did exactly the same thing, even not being 100%, he would get much better results. So I think I'm with you, Matt, 100%. He's my favorite kind of high-end discount, let's say. You know, if you're paying a second-round price, there isn't really much of a sale going on. But I think he should be – I don't know. I'd take him ahead of Strasburg. You know, I'd probably take him ahead of Flaherty also. So for me, that's a value at his stage of the draft. And they said at the very top of the draft, you have those big four and why they were a big deal is because they're the only guys who really give you a lot of certainty because after that you got like the sale Snell area. And then there's this gigantic group of young pitchers that most concerned with them. It seems to be just track record. Walker Bueller, he said is, is probably near the top of the list. Mike Clevenger was there with him until he got injured. We'll talk about him right now. There's also Shane Bieber, Jack Flaherty, Lucas Giolito, Brandon Woodruff. Giant area where there's incredibly talented people, and you don't know if they're going to repeat what they did, get better, get worse. Um, so let's just start with Mike Clevenger off the top since we just talked about people with injury risk. I was incredibly high on him. I think Alex was maybe the highest in the industry possibly on, um, on Mike <laughs> Clevenger. So I will go ahead and... And let you uh, kind of take it from here with him um, as far as like, you know, what you're expecting and maybe how that uh, got changed with the injury. Yeah. Yeah. It was, it was that one, that one hurt. I, I'm not going to lie. That one, that one definitely stung. Cause you're right. I had him actually a little bit. Uh, I had him at fifth. I had him higher than Walker Bueller coming into the season because I was really excited about that arsenal and what we were going to be able to see over uh, a full year of Mike Clevenger. Uh, and we're obviously not going to see that, which is really tough. Um, with that said, I still think we're going to see 150, 100, maybe 160, but probably 150 really quality innings out of him. But yes, of course, uh, I can't keep him as high as I once did. I think what got me so excited is that increased fastball velocity that he looked to actually be sustaining. It wasn't a fluke that you saw in the beginning of the year. I mean, he was sitting 95, 90 96, uh, a majority of the season, 21% swinging strike rate in his slider and a 14% swinging strike rate in that curveball. That's just absolutely fantastic. The 34% CSW rate last year, which would have been top 10 in MLB, even if that dropped down to 32%, that was still higher than Walker Bueller's. Obviously, there, there, there are some warts, right? There was that 7.4% walk rate, which is certainly concerning, but I think he can actually keep taking strides there. I don't think he's ever going to be a Walker Bueller in terms of walk rate. He just doesn't and have that kind of arsenal but if he can increase that zone rate by three ticks in that fastball uh and and as a result maybe the walk rate in the pitch you know goes down a little bit i, I just think 
th- there's a, a clear upside with those breaking pitches uh, that makes him so appealing, uh, and that increased velocity only makes him all the better. Yeah, I I love Mike Clevenger too. I I think I dropped him around 18, 19, maybe even twenty in my rankings. But I mean, I'll probably talk myself into into grabbing more and more shares as people maybe start to discount him. Right now, mm-hmm. at least according to ADP, you're not getting that. Right now he's going as the number nine starting pitcher in front of Blake Snell and Chris Sale. Well, you said people seem concerned who aren't believers. I mean, he, he obviously is being drafted you know, very very highly for a reason. Uh, people thought that they, he couldn't keep up that fastball velocity, but you said he, he kind of kept it going for the entire year. And I think the main thing is people aren't giving him enough credit for the floor he brings. I think that his floor – even if he, I think compared to some of these other young guys we're about to talk about, I think his floor is fine. I, I, I mean, obviously everyone has a worst case scenario that's not good, but his least case scenario for me was still going to be fine where I was drafting him, where his ceiling was immense, like up into the elite tier, where I think some of these other guys didn't have the ability to do. Like you said, if he can keep the fastball velocity and take a step forward with the walks and the off-speed stuff, he can be like kind of just one of the best. Um, but again, you know, now he's injured. The injury uh, happened to his plant leg on his knee, which I, I've mentioned a couple times before. We don't know how that'll affect how he'll come back. You know, we're expecting maybe mid-May, hopefully sooner, but I, it, it's looking like it may be mid-May to end of May just because it was on his plant leg. But, you know, I'll just have to see how it goes. Um, where do you feel comfortable taking Mike Clevenger right now? Um, well, like, would you rather have him or Patrick Corbin? Oh man, um, I would probably. Oh God, it absolutely kills me to say this because I love Mike Clevenger so much. But I would rather have Patrick Corbin because I think people are actually a little bit low on him this year. Um, but you you bring up a, a very very apt point about that plant leg, and I want to uh, reiterate something that I read in uh, an athletic article. What a fantastic publication! If only we knew someone who wrote for them. Um, they they said that if you see him come back earlier than May or in the first week of May. They brought him back too soon, and he's going to get injured again. So that terrifies me. So I'm going to stick with Patrick Corbin on this one. Oh, yeah. Does any? Do we know anyone who works for the Athletic? I was hoping that I'd hear someone chime in for that. Not anybody yeah. good. <laughs> not, not, anybody, <laughs> not anybody good. <laughs> nobody, nobody hitting in the heart of the order. You know, <laughs> um, man. It, it, it. Just like I'm sitting here this whole time, just shaking my head, thinking about you know what should have been. With 200 innings of Mike Clevenger, I mean, you know, Alex can have the title highest on him. I'll gladly take number two. You know, I I had him, I had him right up there with Bueller, and there were turns that I've done where I got the pair of them. You know, that's how much I like Clevenger that I was not shy about taking him at the 15, 16 turn. You know, it was the only chance you were going to get at him if you had the turn. And there was one draft where you know Bueller had already went and. DeGrom and Cole went, and I said, this is my chance, and I was so happy at the prospect. But I think what people need to keep in mind is that last year he still finished inside the top 20 per the Rasball Player Raider on only 126 innings. <laughs> so if Alex is correct and he does get 155, let's say, or 165, then there's no reason why he cannot meet that again or even perhaps you know exceed that. So – Matt, if I could answer your question that you asked him, for me, my answer is, where does Clevenger go? And it's no further than outside the top 18 starting pitchers. You know, um, you asked him a great question. I also would prefer a full year of Corbin. How about Clayton Kershaw? 
Uh, man, that that's right where my cutoff line is. I was hoping you were going to say Nola because for me it's a slam dunk. I'd rather have the shortened Clevenger than a full year of Nola. I don't give sure. I don't give layup questions, buddy. I know. I, I was, was going to say, dude, that's, that's, a, that's a great question. <laughs> Sorry, so, I, I cut low. you off. Go on. I guess. How about you, Alex? Who would you rather have, Kershaw or uh, or Clevenger? I was hoping you'd move on so I didn't have to answer that question because it really is such a fantastic question. Um, or, or maybe my internet could just magically cut out. Here you go. I'll take Clayton Kershaw still. I, ha- I, st- I have Clevenger behind him right now. If we're just talking a standard kind of a roto format, I, I will take Kershaw today over my Clevenger. I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be devil's advocate and say Clevenger solely because Kershaw probably won't get you more than 165 anyway. And while... Well, Kershaw will likely give you a better whip. Uh, I can see them having similar ERAs, and Clevenger should return you more Ks. I can definitely hear cases for both. But you know what? If I'm going to be the industry guy on Clevenger, I, I got to stick to my guns here, and I'll, I'll say him. Yes. And I already said earlier that I would talk myself into it. So if I ever was ever sitting in that, I would be a, <laughs> probably a total hypocrite and go with my Clevenger anyway. So <laughs> take it for what it's worth. Um, more in that, that, that young group. Walker Buehler was at the top. I, like I said, I mean, you both took him at essentially the first round, right at the first, second round turn in a 15 team league. Uh, I have no issues here with Walker Buehler. I know he's, but uh, people are always looking for something for young guys to repeat. The biggest thing I can see is this, his fastball was just nowhere near as effective as you'd want it to be looking from what, when he came up um, in terms of, he got a lot more called strikes then he did swinging strikes, which is obviously not what you'd prefer. Um, so that, I guess, is a little eyebrow raising. Like, okay, are people maybe not as fooled by it? Um, you know, but again, strikes, strikeouts are strikeouts, strikes are strikes. Uh, is there any concern with that with Walker Buehler? Do you have any concerns at all as far as maybe what to look for going forward? Obviously, me and you invested in him, so <laughs> we believe in him to obviously a pretty strong degree. Yeah, I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna shit on him a little bit for a second here, but I let me <laughs> let me let me let me can we curse on this by the way? Oh yeah. Okay, good because I can't curse on the other one, uh, and I curse a lot. So I, I, I'm gonna do that for a second. But with that before the 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 preamble to that is I agree with you. And the thing about Bueller is the floor is high, and that's what you want because you hit the nail on the head earlier. There's so much volatility after him. When it comes to Bueller, though, I found it sort of interesting that despite seeing nearly a 50 innings pitch increase between 17 and 18 for Bueller, uh, or 18 and 19, his swinging strike rate metrics did not increase too drastically. His K rate went up a little over 1%, same with the swinging strike rate. Considering them, we're likely going to see another innings pitched increase from him in 2020, about, albeit a far less significant one. I don't think it's too much to think his K rate and swinging strike rate are not going to increase all that much. He did bring that walk rate down two full ticks, which is great to see. I'm just curious to see which piece increases usage-wise next year between his cutter, his slider, and his curveball. You'd have to think it would be that curveball. It's his best secondary pitch in terms of metrics compared to league average, uh, third highest swinging strike rate among other knuckle curves. If he doesn't make a change to that pitch utilization, we could theoretically see more of the same from him, which is by no means a bad thing. That's where that high floor comes in. The, The thing that scares me Um, And why I wouldn't take him so high in a 12-teamer is if he's going to jump to being the fifth best pitcher in the game, Al Melchior put this really well, he's going to have to leapfrog seven other people in order to do that. Um, And I don't know if he can necessarily do that with the 20th best 
overall swinging strike rate in baseball. If he curves, excuse me, if he amps up that curveball usage, then I can see it happening. But if I don't see those kind of changes, I see more of the same, which is good, but I still want a little bit more from him. Here's my, uh, here's my, my correlation that makes no sense for Walker Bueller as far as why I'm comfortable taking him. People love taking Mike Trout number one overall when he never, ever finishes the top player. It Great just point. doesn't happen because you're com- you're confident that he will finish in a certain area. And that is why I love Walker Buehler. Do I necessarily think me taking him as the fifth pitcher? I think he'll be the fifth pitcher. No, but I think there's a much better chance he lands in that area than many of the people around him, uh, which I think is kind of goes off what you just said, um, where maybe you can see him falling off or maybe not going as high as some people theoretically could. But I think, his, uh, his range between his floor and ceiling is uh, safe enough where I love taking him where he's going and um, no kind of no worries with him for me. Agreed. Uh, anything to add with uh, Walker Buehler before we move on to everybody's favorite topic, Shane Bieber, John? No, Buehler, I got it out. You know, I, I like him right where he is. And the only thing I'd add is now I want to tie him up with Max. So I think if Bueller was mm-hmm. gone, I'm more comfortable taking Max. But that goes to show you, like Alex said, you're not really knocking him if you're putting him up there with Max Scherzer, you know. Yep. Yeah. Um, so moving on to Shane Bieber, uh, you know, people have very differing opinions. He obviously gives up some home runs. The main problem with him is his fastball kind of sucks. Um, if you look at his numbers, it certainly doesn't look like it. I mean, 5% swinging strike rate should tell you something. And it's basically his fastball was effective only because his secondary stuff was, you know, you, you use your fastball to set up your other pitches and vice versa. And the thing is, like, will he be able to get by with that crappy fastball this year? He's going to need his amazing secondary stuff and his fantastic command uh, to continue to almost hide his fastball. Um, So that, I I guess, is my my biggest question for him. Like, he seems like a good bet to not return draft day value because I feel like everyone is really putting their eggs into the um, ceiling basket rather than the floor here, where I think that is why I, you know, you, you obviously like some, I like some other people more than Shane Bieber. I have him lower than I think most do right now. ADP, he is going as the number seven starting pitcher, uh, 26.54 overall in drafts. I would, I would rather have Blake Snell personally. I mean, what, how do you uh, like Shane Bieber, Alex? Yeah, I think those are all fantastic points. I mean, uh, you know, I, I think that there's there's a little more there's a some nuance that a lot of people don't get into when we're talking about his hard hit rate, right? Um, like his Xwo Bacon was 480 on that fastball, which is abysmal. It, it's like completely dreadful. But the thing is about Xwo Bacon is that's only when contact is made with it, right? And very very frequently contact was not made with it. The thing that I think people kind of lose track of when it comes to Bieber is he's a command guy. He can put that fastball wherever he wants to put it. So if he's realizing, okay, you know, I'm leaving it over the plate a little bit too much. I trust him to be able to nibble around the edges a little bit more. He doesn't need that fastball for whiffs. You know what I mean? That's what his curveball Mm -hmm. and and, and, and his slider um, is for. But I think what makes me hesitant, though, to put him at seven is... I don't see a higher tier for him, right? I don't see the next level for him there. And I, I I think the only kind of way that he can go is either maintaining or falling down. And when you have a 260 BABIP on your fastball and it, you know a 226 batting average against and those kind of other hard hit peripherals on there, 
if it falls down a little bit in that in that way, you're not going to get what you got in 2019. Yes. Um, anything you want to uh, kind of tack on there for Shane Bieber, uh, John? Because obviously people obviously, have very Alex, different opinions on him. <laughs> yeah, well, Alex is all over the mark, of course. I, I kind of got a brand of being the anti-Bieber guy, which is not necessarily the case. It's just at this level, you know, when we start comparing him next to the guys he's going near, that contact profile is a bit – it's a bit of a problem for me, uh, and it's not just you know as simple as the hard hit rate. I mean, when uh, hitters do elevate the ball, they're getting them for nearly ninety-four miles an hour. That's like that's really really bad. I mean, we're talking like a bottom twenty-fifth percentile of you know all two hundred and fifteen starting pitchers, and it just kind of continues that whole way. Um, going back to the athletic and some guy that might work there. Um, you know, I work on that contacts metric, hard yeah. minus soft rate, and it's kind of like K minus walk percentage, and just that it's there to paint a picture and not as a standalone picture. You still need the actual percentages to get that, but it's not only does he give up a lot of hard contact, he also does not induce soft contact. You know, it's only at 13%, and again, that's like in the bottom 20th percentile. There's just a lot in that contact basket I don't like. You know, if you look at all the all the expected stats are significantly higher than the outcomes. So when you give me that on top of a 295 BABIP, you know, I can't help but wonder what the outcomes might look like if the BABIP, you know, normalized. Or let's say it was even bad, like he had bad luck instead of good luck, and his BABIP was 340, let's say. I don't know if, you know, that's going to save him. And I, I think I just see a pathway to him. Again, I don't think he's terrible. I don't think he belongs outside the top 12 even. I just – this high up, I, I keep finding in those head-to-head matchups, you know, I'm putting him below <laughs> the guy next to him. Like I, I have to take Corbin before Bieber. But I could see if you have if you have Bieber in front of Morton like you do, Alex. Yeah, first of all, that piece was great, by the way. But go on. That, that soft, hard contact piece was a great piece. Well, thank yeah. you very much. I really appreciate it. I can't believe it's actually being used – by people much smarter than I am. But like I said, really, you know, to stay, maybe, I don't know, maybe I am overstating my problems with his, with his contact basket. Well, he's going early. I mean, going to starting pitcher seven, you kind of have to pick between here. I mean, my my main issue with him is rather than invest a pitch there. And I'm not saying I would take this person over him, but you mentioned you Darvish um, later. I mean, you know, it's Noah Syndergaard. There's some guys later that I would rather Trevor Bauer (laughs) that I would rather just take a shot on Team construction-wise, not that I think they're going to be better, but there's so many kind of red flags here. I mean, his his expected K percentage uh, was three percent less. His expected walk percentage three percent more. I don't really want a six percent swing in there. Um, there's just where you're taking him. You, you kind of need him to perform exactly, and I, I'm not sure I see the profit potential in taking him where he's going. I think he's fine, uh, but like I said, there's yeah, other guys really- I mentioned. I think they could severely outperform their ADP, where he seems like a good bet to disappoint. Matt, that's a big one that you got to that I forgot um, was all those expected stats that you were alluding to. You know, the thing, one of the things I should say that Bieber hangs his hat on, and rightfully so, is a low walk rate, which I understand he's maintained and is, you know, is certainly part of his skill set. But the expected walk rate is is double what the walk rate was. So again, just to play devil's advocate, when I'm imagining that Spike Babip, now what if the walk rate moves closer to the expected walk rate. And now instead of a 295 BABIP, it's 340. Instead of a 4% walk rate, it's a 7% walk rate, which I understand is still good. Uh, there's just a path for him, you know, to have that ERA spike a run. 
And again, like you said, at the top seven, we really can't have too much allowance for that, right? Our tolerance for variance needs to be lessened as much as possible. Yes. Uh, we, we talk about uh, off, off, off the air, me and John talk a lot about, about projections. And I don't, I don't like them so much because I feel like there, there's so much, you have to like put your degree of confidence in the projection. I don't have a problem with where Bieber is being projected, but I think where each starting pitcher, you have to put where your percentage of confidence is in it. And I think my, my, the percentage of him underperforming is a lot higher than a lot of people, which it really comes down to why I'm never probably going to draft Jane Bieber. <laughs> uh, Jack Flaherty. Here's a guy that uh, I don't know. Are people more split on Jack Flaherty or Shane Bieber before I, we get started? <laughs> <laughs> no, I think I think you, I think Bieber. I think you're right. More split on Bieber. Yeah. So Jack Flaherty had one of the best half seasons we have seen. <laughs> uh, he was just insane in the second half. Uh, his fastball was his, his kind of his workhorse pitch, but his slider is probably what made him elite. Um, the, the relationship between the fastball and slider and how he used them. Uh, his sinker was a bit weird. Um, he had a higher swing strike rate on his sinker than he did his four seamer, which doesn't seem like something that is likely to occur again. Um, so I don't know. I mean, you look at his second half and it's easy to dismiss it. You look at his first half, it's probably easy to dis dismiss it. So I think his season end stats were okay barometer. I don't think he's really that good. I think what he ended up with like a two, eight, four, I, I should have this in front of me. I don't, um, I think his 2018 season, like that three, three, four ERA is probably a better bet of what to expect this year rather than anyone expecting that second half over an entire season, I think is in for a very, very sad surprise. Yeah. Well, all right. I, I got something on Flaherty because, you know, again, we all saw that monster second half, and it's funny because I was very much into Jack Flaherty going into the season, and I didn't take many victory laps because I was humble after the first half, you know, rightfully so. But I wanted to see, you know, I didn't want to just throw away such a great performance. And again, like you said, I don't expect that to be the new floor, or the new standard. But I was curious to see if I could find anything maybe tangible and I know this is something that Alex talks about a, a lot. And in fact, you know, for lack of a better word, he's probably my, you know, inspiration here. But when you look at the the usage, and so Flaherty had that major turnaround in July. And when you bring up the usage chart, it doesn't even take a squint to see a notable change in the four-seamer, which, you know, his four-seamer is really not great. It doesn't have a lot of movement on it. It had a 363 uh, ex-Wobicon and only a 9.4% swinging strike rate. You know, not excellent. And that pitch, he was throwing, you know, more than 50% of the time. That's leading up to the change. Then month over month, it dropped at least 5% without fail, all the way bringing it from 51 down to 33. He swapped that with the slider, which was down around 25 and ended up right around 40. That slider is the killer pitch right there. Nearly 2,400 RPM, a sub 300 X Wobicon, which is off the charts. And for a pitch that this guy threw over 700 times, he got a 24.5% swinging strike rate. That is the money pitch right there. So my question for Alex, that's why I kind of jumped the gun. I wanted to get it before you is no, please. Am I reading too much into an obvious pitch change, which also makes sense, right? He traded a worse pitch for a much better pitch right now. He's throwing his best pitch more than he ever has. And he ended the season where it was his most used pitch, which lends itself, you know, to the assumption for better production. So Alex, is it crazy to me to think that he's not going to repeat the second half? 
But what we're going to get going forward is much better than the first half of last year. No, it's 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 it, it is a breakdown with which I can agree with virtually every point. I mean, in that second half, it wasn't just about uh, usage, as you said, but also about a utilization of usage. Right? The 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 slider location at the end of the year in that second half was absolutely fantastic. He was pounding the bottom of the zone with it virtually every single time he threw the pitch, and then able to elevate that fastball, and he could just do that every single game in and out and have a lot of success. And like you said, literally and historic second half. Um, the the thing that always gives me pause about Jack Flaherty, which is another very fitting thing that you brought up, which is the movement on the fastball is not there. This is a guy who has, I think, 32nd percentile in fastball spin. And then when it comes to active spin, it's even lower. So we're talking about a He's constantly overperforming his peripherals with this fastball. It had a, I believe, 230 uh, BABIP last year, which was up from 214 the year before. Now, the counter to that is the infield defense is there. The Cardinals have one of the best, if not the best, infield defense in all of baseball. Nothing changed year over year between the two of them. I My relationship with him keeps evolving. When he first came into the league, I wrote an article saying, this is the guy that I want to draft. I got lucky. He had success. The second year, the fastball kind of stuck out to me. And in the beginning of the year, like you said, I was on the opposite. I was like, you see? like I don't know if he's that good. And then I ate my words in the second half. I think what I want to see and what kind of pushes me a little bit more towards the Jack Flaherty camp is an increased curveball usage that we saw in his first spring training appearance. I'm never going to dig too much into one spring training appearance, let alone all of spring training. But if he really does start to utilize that curveball, which was a highly touted pitch for him when he was coming up through the Cardinal system, he just becomes that much more interesting because the slider, there's no doubt about it. It's elite. It's a top five slider in all of baseball the fastball concerns me a bit but if he really does bring back that curveball then there is another tier for him so i have less of a problem with him where he's being drafted than i did before okay that pretty much sums up i got nothing else to add for him i I really want jack flaherty right i'm you know i hear all this stuff and i'm wondering why i'm so low on him the guy's sold can't believe me well here he's still again he's being drafted again as the sixth starting, yeah, no, 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 yeah. no, no, I can't do that at all. I mean, I said, I mean, I even said when I when I opened up with Beaver, I said I don't think he's his year end stats, which is like a two eighty ERA. I think he's more like twenty eighteen, which is a three three, which is still really good. Um, but I just, you know, I I think he's a lesser version of Walker Buehler, where I think he's safe enough, but without the ability to really like turn it on and give you the return on investment you're looking for, which if I'm drafting someone as SP six, I'm hoping that he can do better than that. And I, I just don't see it. I'd rather, you know, wait and, and take some, some of these other guys later. And that's pretty much comes down to it. It's not that I don't believe in him. It's that I just don't believe, I believe no, I know, other Matt, people I'm, believe in him too much. Yeah, no, Matt, it's, it's, it's just the bane of the analyst. I'm sure Alex gets this all the time. If you don't rank everybody as number one, you hate them. Right. And, and I was just <laughs> yeah, yeah, the top yeah, yeah. But you yeah. know that's that's what it is, right? If you don't, if what you have Bieber seven, you you hate this guy. You're off him. You're anti him. And we all know <laughs> that's not the case. Hey, Matt, you say it best. At this level of analysis, you have to have your microscope out. It's that simple. Yeah. Um, one guy, I I this is an interesting guy, Lu- Lucas Giolito. Um, I'm not. Sh- I'm surprised he actually is going as high as he is still. SP fourteen around pick like forty seven to fifty in that area. He he started off the year fantastic. In his final 16 starts, he had like a 4-4-2 ERA. 
Um, mainly due to the fact that he couldn't really locate his changeup at all. His fastball is fantastic. His changeup had a 52 and a half zone rate. Um, so, but I mean, you, you saw how good he could be and he's still very young and his turnaround came out of nowhere. It looked like he was literally going to be the bust of the century, like one of those types. And he came out and he's still progressing forward. You know, he, he looks like he could definitely develop his slider even more and really become an ace. So even though, he has a ton of red flags here. I mean, and you know, you'd have to say red flags. He just plain didn't perform well down the stretch, but at his draft price, I'm kind of more excited to draft him than I am Flaherty because I could see him really outperforming his current ADP, which um, I said is right now at SP 14, but I am not drafting him anywhere. I have yet to draft him anywhere because I can't talk myself into it. Maybe Alex, get your thoughts on him because I can make the case for him being much better than where he's being drafted, but I can't get too excited based on what I saw down the stretch. Yeah. I mean, listen, it's going to be a really interesting year for Lucas Giolito, right? He's been up and down. He was this highly touted prospect. Then he was absolutely abysmal. And then bam, he fixes these arm circle issues. And all of a sudden he's kind of got these revamped mechanics and he's doing fantastic with this fastball changeup combination. Um, he, uh, one of the metrics that I like to look at was brought to my attention by Jason uh, Collette, which is what is your Z contact or how much contact you're giving up in the zone versus your swinging strike rate in the zone. He had a 15 percent swinging strike rate in the zone and a 76 percent z contact which puts him in absolutely elite territory one thing that also gets me a little bit excited about lucas giolito is having yasmani grandal behind home plate who is a you know a much better pitch framer than i believe it was like wellington castillo for a good part of last year um i i think Obviously, you brought up the you know the very apt things about you know he he lost it in the middle of the year and and guys suffered as a result of him uh, as a result of that. Um, I think that faint, that fastball changeup combination is good enough that he shouldn't um, fall too drastically compared to what he did last year. Um, his changeup is utilized a little bit differently than say like a Luis Castillo's right. Luis Castillo that falls out of the zone all the time. Whereas Lucas Giolito stays in the zone a little bit and has a very good swinging strike rate on pitches in the zone. This is all to say though, that if he is already set up this kind of dominance with that fastball changeup combination, maybe this is the year we see a, a, an increased slider or curveball usage. And if that's the case, if he's like, Oh yeah, by the way, now that I've got those first two pitches, here's my slider a little bit more. And if that's the case, then we're talking about a more consistent Giolito and maybe an even higher performing Giolito. But like I said, th that's what you have to risk, right? I, I can't sit here and say, honestly, hey, Giolito is going to bump up that slider usage. He could still be a fastball changeup guy for all we know. So that's kind of where it comes to people drafting for, you know, kind of make those decisions. Uh, John, do you, uh, based on kind of what we've been talking about, does he seem like uh, someone that you feel is a good risk there? Or do you think that, uh, you know, because he's 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 one of those guys where he has the he has similar risk percentages, maybe uh, people being drafted two, three, four, five rounds later. But his ceiling is obviously much higher than some of them. Like how how would you would you rather invest in Lucas Giolito at 47 uh, or someone like Noah Syndergaard, uh, maybe, you know, maybe two rounds later? Matt, Matt, me and you have been working together too long, maybe because you're getting inside my head. Um, I'm having a hard time getting to Giolito at his at his price. You know, he's right next to Corbin. I don't even see how that's a question. You know, for me, it's Corbin all day. I do like Giolito above Nola, but I don't like him better than I like Darvish right there, and I don't like him better than I like Paddock. 
And now we're at, you know, guys that are starting to be drafted later that I like more. So automatically that says like, yeah, maybe I'm not crazy about this guy. I had a, I had a major concern. This is something I just wonder about because, you know, I know that the pro teams have more information than I do. But I wonder often about these pitchers that have parts of their arsenal that just get like eviscerated. And and I, I even at like a like a short usage. So I'm I'm referring to his curveball. And I noticed that you mentioned that, Alex. You mentioned increasing, but then you kind of didn't mention it again. And I mean, I almost would hope that he wouldn't spike the curveball use unless there's something we're missing. I mean, the spin rate is crazy, like near 2600 RPMs. But everything else is just a, just atrocious. Um, uh, five twenty seven Wobicon, you know, which is awful, but it could be luck. The expected Wobicon was actually higher. It was five sixty eight. It only had a five percent swinging strike rate, and the <laughs> the battle rate was twenty three percent. I mean, I, I get it. Really small sample. There weren't that many. It was less than a hundred pitches thrown. But I wonder how a guy with such high upside would even bother throwing something that has such poor results. Um, not that I was really going after him, like I said, Matt, but as I'm peeling away the layers of Giolito, I'm, I'm just – I'm off at the price. Okay. That makes sense. Um, you mentioned a couple people um, – we both mentioned a couple people along the way. You, Darvish, and Aaron Noah. So let's hit them up next. Um, Garrett Cole, for most people, Tim or DeGrom, is, is, is basically like the cream of the crop this year. Garrett Cole's uh, K to walk percentage – or K minus walk percentage – it's 33.9, which is insane. Um, a decent number for a pitcher would be what 20? Would that be safe sure. to say? 20-ish. Yeah. Um, I know I brought this up on other on other shows, but again, I'm gonna recite this because it's insane. This is you Darvish's uh second half, K minus walk percentage, or for his entire season. Um, April 8.5, not good. May 14.6, not great. June 20.5, better. July 28.3, August 33.6, and September. 42.9. <laughs> Crazy, man. That, 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 I mean, I saw that once and I thought, all right, um, Fangraphs is broken or, I'm, you know, <laughs> I, I wrote it down wrong. No, that's how good he was. And the more impressive thing isn't the strikeouts for me because we always knew he could strike people out. The thing that has really ruined him lately has been the walks, which obviously evaporated, um, which is the exciting thing. Obviously, 42.9 is not a number to expect, but this is a guy I'm grabbing everywhere. I don't care if it's best ball. I don't care if it's points. I don't care if it's roto anywhere. Because, yeah, I mean, there's plenty of reasons to doubt you, Darvish, because of, you know, how badly he has struggled. But obviously, he looked good in the second half. He was healthy. He looks motivated to get going this year uh, in the National League again uh, for a full year of – I don't know what to expect, really. But I think his year-end statistics can you kind of give you a good idea. So, you, Darvish, I'm all over that second half. Because I think that we're going to get the strikeout pitcher we always hope for, and his walks, while maybe not to the level we saw, are definitely going to be reduced from what everyone was fearing that his like you know his career as an elite pitcher could be over. So I mean, right now he's being taken at uh, SP eighteen behind Aaron Nola, behind Clayton Kershaw, uh, behind Chris Paddock, behind Lucas Giolito. I would much rather a pick fifty six. Uh, take a shot on you, Darvish. Um, I'm like you know, there's some many people that are on him, but I like him borderline the train conductor of the hype train for you Darvish because I don't get why he's going this late because of how exciting he could potentially be. Yeah, I mean listen, there's there's two kinds of second halves, right? There's Jack Flaherty's which is everything 
sticking and coming together, right? Where that, that slider is working, that fastball is working. And then there's you Darvish's, right? Which is almost just as historic a second half. I mean, like you said, fantastic stats, 2.45 Sierra in the second half, 38% K rate and a 2% walk rate and a 0.81 whip. So with this second half, though, we're talking about a, a, a legitimate change because there's a change in his mechanics, right? He, he changed the release point on his fastball. And as a result of that change in release point in his fastball, the velo on that fastball jumps up a little bit. All of a sudden, he increases that cutter usage a little bit as well. So I, 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 you're right. I mean, like when it comes to Darvish versus Paddock, you're talking about more innings for Darvish. You're talking about a more impressive ar- arsenal for Darvish, especially with that cutter usage as well. Paddock, you know, I'm, I'm excited about. I want to see what that curveball is going to look like. He had introduced some more horizontal movement to it, which is really exciting. And I want to see how sustainable that is. I'm not taking away from him. But Darvish, the, the, the ceiling there, we've yet to see it sustained over a full season. And that's that ceiling is really sexy. And while I used to be really out on Darvish because of that volatility, that change in fastball uh, mechanic is is going to make me a lot more in on him this year. Yeah, imagine, imagine he had the bad first. Imagine he had the first half he did last year, except the previous two seasons didn't exist. How high people could potentially be on him if the yeah. only thing that was bad was his first half? Which obviously I know you can't erase that. But John, I know I didn't mean to interrupt you. No, 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 uh, no, 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 no. It's fine. It's fine. He he. Uh, you know, he also developed that split finger that he started throwing like partway through the season, man, his, his usage chart is really something else. It looks like a stock chart. That's a little too busy <laughs> he, indicators taken off. You know what I mean? More. It's just, he throws so many pitches and I know the pitcher list guys, cause I learned it from them. Uh, usually have their antennas, you know, uh, poked up when they hear right. That a splitter is at the center of success. Now I don't really have any much more to it than that. I just see some serious usage, you know, man, the, the slider bump, he dropped the four-seamer, introduced the splitter, they dropped the changeup, uh, increased the curveball usage. I mean, uh, as someone who does pitcher analysis, you know, sometimes you're looking for a single swap, right? Like I talked about before at Flaherty, man, he made a total reworking, you know, of the arsenal and the repertoire. And then when you go with what Alex is talking about, another, you know, tangible change in like release points, we might be at a point where we have to throw away all of his old data because it might just be there to misguide us. And again, you're not going to get a uh, you know 98% K minus walk rate going forward. But <laughs> definitely, he's. If you ask me, just watch him. He looks like an SP one. He really does. And I would yes, take him in front of the guys. If everyone's expecting Garrett Cole to be this good, I mean, hey, listen, you Darvish was supposed to be better than Garrett Cole not too long ago before Garrett Cole went to Houston and turned into this absolute monster. Obviously, I said what right. his. His K to walk percentage obviously was over an entire season. I'm not trying to compare the two. I really am not. Uh, but you Darvish is going where he is. So, uh, you know, he has a ceiling potentially above like everybody, but like that very, very top group. So, you know, I mean, you're, you're seeing someone like if, if he ended up with a better season than Flaherty, Bieber, Strasburg, Clevenger, Snell, Sale, would that shock anybody? I'm not saying oh, would you bet on it, but would it shock you? No. no, it wouldn't shock me at all. No. no, and you can't. I mean, but you can't say that really for probably Castillo, Corbin, Giolito, Paddock, you know, Nola, anyone else in that range that are going in front of them. I would, I would argue. Yeah, so, yeah, um, I can get behind that for sure. So that's kind of the idea there. So it's a risk outweighing the reward. Uh, Aaron Nola, 
who we'll get into here. Um, his 2019 was pretty disappointing, but not unexpected. He had the 251 BABIP in 2018, which was never going to fly. So I'm not sure why everyone was totally surprised by him taking a uh, a step back. I mean, I don't think he's ever going to be the starting pitcher we saw in 2018. Um, but I think he's probably a good value where he's currently sitting. Better if he falls further. His walks are probably going to come down from they were last year. But um, any excitement for Nola? I mean, uh, he's another guy where people are either – on board with him going back to 2018 or they're not, I think he'll still be serviceable. And I think at his current price, he's fine, but I don't see 2018 happening again. I just don't think that's who he's going to be. Uh, John, why don't you kick it off first? Uh, I want to look something up real quick about Nola. Yeah, while you, sure. while you're talking uh, about. Nola's nah, kind of hurts because I was kind of touting him before the breakout. And then, you know, he, he fulfilled that and he was great. And sadly, after last year, listen, I didn't avoid him because I saw the fall coming. I'm not going to take that credit, but I did avoid him because I was worried about the price. You know, I'm a cheapskate, and that's what happens sometimes. My, my beef with Nola here is, man, if, you, if you're kind of looking at this guy's stats and you're looking at everything year over year together, it's just a little too easy to kind of point out 2018 is the clear anomaly. You know, his WOBA – reads 305, 306, 293, 304. The one outlier is 2018 and 251. His ex woba is 300, 295, 282, 307. You know, everything again within 10, 12 bips. The outlier ex woba 263. Sometimes when you're reading stats, you're like the guy reading side effects on the medical. Well, watch out for anal leakage. Anal leakage from Aranola, yeah. The initials are exactly the same for for good reason. So, right. So the problem here is that to me, that just looks really anomalistic. And is, that a, is that a word? Yeah. Anomalistic is, 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 a, is a word. It <laughs> is a word. Um, I try not to make up things as much, <laughs> well, as much as possible. You know, no, again, really, you know, all the expected stats were there and he really wasn't, you know, he really wasn't terrible. The, the walks were my major concern. You know, and I guess I kind of gave Luis Castillo a pass there, but I don't know. Maybe that's my blind spot. But Noel, I just I just see that eighteen as the standout. I don't think he can get back there. Uh, yeah, I I I agree. I I don't think he will get back there. Uh, and I I also don't think we're going to see what we saw from him in in twenty nineteen. We're not going to see a high three ERA from him. I think that's going to come down considerably because the home runs are going to come down considerably for him. He's not a one point two home run per nine kind of guy. Um, I personally, there's a lot of volatility once again when it comes to Nola. Not necessarily because of injury, which is great, but because we just don't know what's going to happen with that fastball. Sometimes, if you you want to talk about like stock markets and up and down. If you look at the zone rate on that fastball over the course of the year, it's just all over the place. And when that goes away, he loses his changeup. And when that goes away, his curveball, you can't even get to it, right? And that that scares me a little bit. There are also some other things that kind of jump out about him. The zone rate overall was a career low for him, and that continued a downward trajectory. After jumping up to 58% in 2018, his true F-strike fell back to 51%. True F-strike is F-strike removing batted balls. So we're only looking at how many times a pitcher got to 01. Right. The, the curveball swinging strike rate dropped for the fifth consecutive year. So th those things scare me. So 
to me, Nola is putting those two pieces together, right? He's not going to be a high three ERA guy, but he's not going to be the guy who's going to consistently get you K's with that curveball. There's going to be months at a time where the fastball goes away and you're going to have to weather that storm. So for me, I'm out for Nola in terms of weekly leagues and for year long Roto leagues. I don't mind him quite as much. I think that's fair. Um, the, the guy right around there is Noah Syndergaard, which I'm going to recruit, recuse myself here from talking about him too much because I am, like always, wearing my Mets hat. Um, the, the, I'll say very briefly <laughs> before I let the experts take it um, out of my biased hands, his discount seems to outweigh the risk at this point. And he, again, is, is someone I, I haven't ended up with much, but I think that's more in terms of just roster construction and – you know, um, just in not falling that way. But yeah, his his ADP seems to, he seems like a good risk reward guy here. I think I would rather gamble on him at ADP than like, like they, I, said, I think I said earlier, Lucas Giolito or Shane Bieber, who are going significantly ahead in drafts uh, because, you know, he's, he's someone who historically really underperforms his metrics. Obviously he cannot keep people from stealing bases on him. And there's a lot of other little, little tiny things that don't show up in stats, but um, Noah Syndergaard, give me some good news. Oh, I'll let you go first if we're talking about good news, because I think I just have some bad news. <laughs> All right. Give me the bad. Give me the bad news. Uh, uh, OK, so, no, I, I, I'm being a little bit dramatic there. Um, He had extension issues uh, uh, last year um, after he was injured, which was problematic. And I think he's going to be able to write those. One of the pitcherless titles, uh, Michael Ajeto, wrote a fantastic piece about Noah Syndergaard uh, that I think is really good reading about those extension issues. I think a lot of people, they, they go and they look at the stats and they say, oh, my God, 2.8 FIP in 2018, 3.6 FIP in 2019, and he had a 4.28 ERA. He's, he's never going to be a guy who pitches to his FIP. He's always going to be a guy who underperforms that FIP as long as he has that Mets defense behind him. Um, I, I think the slider is going to return to what it can be. I think the slider is a better pitch than what it showcased to be in 2019. Um the 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 18.1% swinging strike rate in that pitch is just too low. It's not what we're used to seeing from him, and it's going to come back. But with that said, I think he's just always going to be a, a thrower and not a pitcher. And the, the most frustrating thing is I just don't really like Wilson Ramos that much as a game caller. I think he limits what Noah Syndergaard can do. I don't think he's successful, and it kind of is Noah frustrating Syndergaard watching him to work. Kind of, Syndergaard was actually very vocal about that. Not that he should have been. He should have done that behind closed doors, but he was vocal that he wanted a different catcher last year. Then if he does, then I'm in, because I just don't really like Wilson Ramos that much. I, I, um, sadly, I don't think it's going to happen. Uh, from all reports, oh, it looks God. like Ramos made made moves to, like, he's, 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 uh, he's, he's like, He's catching balls on his knees more to to be a better like ball, you know, to stop balls. But as sure. far as calling a game, I mean, for as far as Syndergaard goes, the the Robo Wump can't come any sooner. Uh, as far as framing goes for Ramos, but yeah, as calling a game goes, uh, it's not going to improve this year. Could you imagine being the Mets organization and having ostensibly or actually realistically your second best pitcher saying, "I want a new catcher," and them saying, "Well, he could really block a ball really well." <laughs> yeah, uh, you know, it's it's everyone. I talk about baseball with my dad all the time. Another big Mets fan. We're just, you always look at the roster and how you're supposed to upgrade it. And we're like, Oh, we have Wilson Ramos. I'm like, they need to sign Yasmani Grandal and trade Ramos for whatever you can get. He's one year. Um, someone will take him, uh, Wilson Ramos for a year. He's, he signed to a fairly team friendly contract. You can trade him. And that's what they should have done. Sure. If you're having a team that you are banking on starting pitching to win, you need to get somebody in there that can call a game. And yeah, Wilson Ramos is not it. 
Anything to add uh, for Thor, John? Yeah, I, I love me some Noah Syndergaard, man. I think uh, I, I'm, I'm I'm not trying to put this all right. So his problems definitely centered around the slider, in my opinion. Mm -hmm. However, as kind of a handicapper, you know, a lot of times I'm looking for statement gains, let's call them, um, in order to kind of drop the game log into sections, let's say. So the reason I'm getting to that is because, listen, Syndergaard came out and it was ugly. It was absolutely brutal. We're talking the first, gee, man, the first six starts, he gave up at least four runs in five out of six, let's say. The first start of May, he came out at home against Cincinnati and he threw a complete game shutout. Okay, there's the statement game I'm talking about. Where am I getting at is if you just take the rest of the season from that day forward, I think he was exactly what everybody wanted, right? So from that point forward, it was a 385 ERA with a 119 whip. All the peripherals really good, 356 FIP, 385 XFIP, sub 30% hard hit rate. Gotta love that. Um, the K rate at 24%, walk rate just below six. You know, uh, really no complaints here, right? 247, 294, 396 triple slash. That's pretty much elite. So if he didn't have those first six games, I believe he'd be going 30 picks higher. Um, when you look at the usage, I feel like the usage chart uh, kind of reflects this confidence issue I was talking about. The slider that he's known for started out at about a 20% usage. And as he was getting crushified through those starts, it dropped <laughs> precipitously and made its way down to 5%. Now, that's completely out of character for him. It got down to about 8 when we started to see that change. And then it made its way all the way back up to 20. So as I'm kind of drawing this you know, game log argument, it just seems like uh, he had an issue. Uh, he may have even rectified that issue. He was vocal about the seams, if I remember correctly. Yes. And yes. then uh, we maybe he may found maybe he found the groove because he restored the pitch mix, and then he kind of restored um, his production. And I'm, I, I I even don't really like to do the statement game thing because uh, lest it come off kind of subjective. But man, that's a really good back into the season, and I know he had at least one utter meltdown. Oh yeah, 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 the Cubs just ate his lunch in August for nine runs. So if you were to erase that that bad start, you know, not that it works that way, but, man, he was really good for a very high percentage of the season. So I wouldn't be going after him if he was going those 30 picks higher. But if he's going to come back to me, like, you know, use TGFBI, I have a center spot at seven. His uh, ADP lands him in about the middle of the fifth round. I'm going to say yes, please, because that would definitely make him at least my second starter. So if I don't have to rely on him as my ace, I think Syndergaard is as good of an SP2 as you're really going to have unless you win pocket aces. Yeah, I, I, I will say, though, that I, 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 I agree with you on the slider. I definitely agree with you on the slider. I think it's going to come back. I think he's going to figure it out a little bit more, and I think he's going to solve those extension issues a little bit. But I will say that I think that ERA was buoyed by the July performance because the last two months were was like a mid four ERA, like a four six six ERA yeah, for August perfect. and September. Yeah. So I, I think that July might be skewing a little bit of those of those performances, but I, I don't think it'll be that bad. All right. Um, well, 
let's hope that uh, John's right and you're wrong. <laughs> hey, I'm actually, I like the Mets because they're the only other fan base that's as pathetic as the Orioles, and I love that. Oh, man. What is that about? No, I mean, like, we're sad. Like, we, we always have hope, and then we're always let down. And it is mostly due to our really ridiculous owner. <laughs> exactly. See, there's camaraderie here. There is truly camaraderie here. <laughs> um, let's let's talk about. There's a few guys that we skipped. So before moving, I was going to talk about the, the the diamond, the dual Diamondbacks at the top there for a second, uh, but we skipped quite a few pitchers. So um, I'm just going to name off a few. Tell me if there's anything that you really want to dig into. Luis Castillo, Patrick Corbin. We talked to in passing as we went along. Chris Paddock, Clayton Kershaw. Um, Charlie Morton, Tyler Glass now. Um, I mean, they're, they're kind of going in the vicinity where they likely should. Is there anything that you kind of want to get out, get across to the uh, listeners before I move on from that group? Um, I'll do two quick hits. I mean, uh, I think um, Kershaw scares me a little bit because guys are getting a little bit more aggressive on that fastball and early in the counts, they say, you know, they don't want to get to that curveball because the curveball still looks fantastic. The velocity is coming down on that fastball a little bit. With that said, I still think he's going to be able to return you a low three ERA season. I just don't see the K's climbing in particular. Um, and then the other guy that I wanted to do a quick hit on, who is the other person that you mentioned? There was Kershaw more. Oh, Glass now. Um, listen, that, that fastball is elite. It, it's straight as an arrow, but it doesn't matter when it has the highest perceived velocity in all of baseball. Let's see what that splitter looks like. He says he's doing away with a changeup. He's bringing the splitter into it. Watch those spring training performances. The splitter, if it works for him, gives him a fantastic new piece because it has something that tails away from guys, right? All of a mm -hmm. sudden, he's got the fastball up, the curveball down, and that splitter moving away. That is really great to see, but if he can control it. So let's see what he does in spring training. Uh, for, for me, it's glass now, too. And, man, it's funny. Um, sometimes I... I fall victim to not actually having enough confidence, even though I kind of come off the other way. And just to circle back to last year, last year I was so into Ryu that it was the first year I ever did any kind of projection system, and I had Hyunjin Ryu as the NL Cy Young winner last year. Mm. And instead of being confident in myself, I actually changed the projections to make it where he wouldn't be that because I felt like that had to be wrong because I didn't have enough confidence in myself. Now I wish that I had stuck with that because I really didn't even end up drafting Ryu. So that being said, that's kind of how I feel about Tyler Glass now. Um, man, am I afraid of the durability? Okay, that if I wasn't, I feel like this guy is easily an SP1. Um, on a per inning basis last year, I believe I can make a compelling argument that he was the single most effective pitcher on a per inning basis, right? So where am I going with that? Where'd that come from? Again, I refer to those 215 starting pitchers with 25 or more innings pitched last year. He had a 178 ERA. That was the 98th percentile. His 0.89 whip was the 98th percentile. His 294 XFIP was the 98th percentile. His 28.8 hard hit rate was the 90th percentile. His 2.26 FIP was the first overall in the league. His 509 OPS allowed was first overall in the league, and his 222 Woba allowed was first overall in the league. So, gentlemen, why does this guy not being talked about as somebody with a path similar to Chris Sale that has the potential to finish as an SP1, right? Clevenger did it last year in a buck 26. 
if Glasnow gives you 130, shouldn't he do the same thing? And the only thing I, I don't know why I don't have more of him. I'm afraid. I'm, I'm doubting my work again because it was only 60 innings. And I don't want to get, you know, too, too excited. But you start to couple that with some of the expected stats, you know, as if his uh, 286 Wobicon wasn't good enough. The expected it was 40 points lower, you know, and his 6.3 barrel rate, which is really good, was a 2.5 expected barrel rate. So like, as if this guy could get any better with a little bit of luck and some health, you know, I feel like we could be talking about SP8, maybe, and no one else is saying that. So I feel like, again, that my confidence is misplaced somewhere. But those are staggering numbers. He did things that some pitchers have long careers and can never lay claim to, saying that they had across the board, you know, not just the best ERA, because Trevor Williams can give you a sub-3 ERA, right? That happens. <laughs> But not with the top-rated whip. Not with the take that, Trevor whip. Williams, wherever you are. Sorry. Yeah. Yeah. Take, take that, Glenn Sparkman. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, it's just that, you know, guys have shown us that they can give us a glimpse of results. Well, hold on. Let me ask you this. Since you, I mean, you seem pretty jazzed about him. How are, how, how, how early would you, I mean, are you taking him significantly earlier no, when he's being drafted? I can't draft him. And it, specifically, I have drafted the two guys that surround him over him time after time, and that's Syndergaard, and I've even taken Woodruff over him, which that doesn't even really answer my durability argument. So, again, I'm just kind of scrambled, you know, in my own infatuation with this possibility that – but, again, no one is talking about it. Um, in fact, and I love Eric. Eric Cross is one of my favorite follows. He is, like, the preeminent prospect guy. When I mentioned this to him on Twitter, he laughed at me, <laughs> you know? So that's the response I've gotten from people that have been doing this a long time that I'm crazy for thinking there's even a path there. Alex, please bring me back to earth. Who's this crazy guy that we're talking to? <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. I'm messing with you. Um, uh, I, I, well, I, I don't want to bring you back to earth because I want you to be sure of your convictions. And you, you got me ready to run through a wall right now. So I'm all about that. Um, but I, I'll, I'll say this. I mean, it, it's 60 innings, right? So we we have to we have to temper the expectation, and it's 60 innings of essentially something that he did with really one pitch, right? He came back from that injury miraculously, and he said, "You know what? I'm going fastball high, fastball high, fastball high, and good luck if you can hit it." And every once in a while, he would bring in that curveball low. So I I, I personally have uh, uh, my ceiling for him innings wise is 150. And I don't even know if he really reaches that. Yeah. Um, so I think that is where the volatility comes in. And the he just throws so hard and has so many weird injuries. And like I said, if he if that splitter doesn't develop and we're stuck with those just those two pitches again, I don't know what that's gonna look like third time through the order. Um, so while I agree with you that there is a path for excellence with Tyler Glass now, I have a little bit of difficulty betting on that path. And maybe I'm just a coward. I feel people um, chasing Glass now for the SP1 is showing irrational exuberance. But again, you know, I just feel burned because it's like missing a stock market move for the second time. You know, like I kind of knew to buy and it happened and now I feel like it's happening again. And I'm trying to fight my own fear of missing out. And now I've, I really, like I said, I don't even have any shares of this guy 
you know, uh, sand some best ball here or there. Yeah, but the, the, to, 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 to save you real quick, Ryu had that has the the terrible track record with injury, right? Like like what we were talking about earlier, his his groin muscle fell off the bone. And if a guy's got a groin muscle that falls off the bone like a weak chicken wing, then it's rare that you're going to bet on him because he's never going to stay healthy. So those are the two things those have in common. So don't don't beat yourself up too much about. Okay, it. all right. I, I think I got to get I got to plant somewhat of a flag and try and get him because again, you're not being asked to pay these crazy prices, but. I'm having a hard time not going with Syndergaard, who, you know, of course, man, it really, I think it's safe to say he has a much shorter path to 190 innings, right? I don't think anyone's arguing that. Sure. Um, so I think we can all agree that uh, the Pirates made the worst trade in the history of baseball when they traded Austin Meadows and Tyler Glass now for Chris Archer. Can we just agree on that? Then? So bad. 100%. 100%. Oh, my God. And there's other people involved in that trade who are probably arguably better than Chris Archer in the end as well. Um, moving on. Uh, Zach Greinke, uh, Brandon Woodruff, we already talked about. Trevor Bauer, Jose Barrios. Isn't that a weird group? Uh, I want to talk about Trevor Bauer for a quick second. I know we're going a little long like we typically do. But um, Trevor Bauer's 2018 was – I don't know why everyone was kind of jumping on the Cy Young bandwagon for Trevor Bauer last year, because the obviously the, the, the home run rate was always going to come back up. Uh, the home run to fly ball ratio was like half, if not more of his career average. Um, but I mean, that maybe overcorrected itself last year. Uh, and uh, you know, he obviously had a, a tough season. He obviously is an emotional dude. Not that, you know, he, he can necessarily bake that into statistics. He gets traded in state from the Indians to the Reds. Uh, which theoretically moved in the NL should have been a good move, didn't really show up. So I don't expect him to become 2018 pitcher again. I don't think that was going to be in the cards for him. But last year obviously wasn't bad. Um, the walk rate went up, but I don't think that he's going to go like full freaking, you know, Robbie Ray on us or anything, being like an average pitcher with tons of strikeouts. Um, so I think that um, – I think Trevor Bauer is going to be somewhere in between, which again, at his current ADP, I think is pretty damn good, which is uh, right around pit, uh, SP 28 around there going around pick like 80. Um, he's going right around the same as Brandon Woodruff though. So the question is there like, who would you kind of rather have? Because Brandon Woodruff gives you that maybe that unknown ceiling or Trevor Bauer, um, you know, he, he's not going to give you the ceiling that you're once hoping for, but I think the, the strikeouts are definitely safe. And um, I think that more, you're probably looking more like towards the uh, four ERA than the bottom three ERA, maybe like a shade over three and a half. So the question is like in a full season in Cincinnati, do you guys kind of buy into Trevor Bauer bouncing back? Um, or do you think last year was, uh, do you think he's more 2018 or more 2019? I guess is the question. My Bauer argument sounds very much like my Nola argument. You know, somebody that I really wanted to believe in, um, you know, regardless of his kind of personality, he's certainly a student of the game, right? He's not shy about that at all. And I personally like that, that he's highly analytic. Of course, that can be a problem when you tinker too much. Um, when I mentioned the Nola argument, it's because, you know, over now, what's say, you know, pretty long career, Relatively, at least, there's one bar in that year-over-year, -year, you know, stack cast graph that just is all blood red from left to right with all your expected stats, hard hit rates, K rates, the whole nine, and then that's it. So, again, there's that 
uh, word, anomalistic, and the other phrase of anal leakage that I think is going on here. So anal leakage will now be players that had a single, you know, a single uh, breakout year and then came back. And that's what I got. I just don't, uh, I just don't see what everyone is loving for a guy whose price is kind of moving up. Uh, I guess there's certainty in the innings and some certainty in the strikeouts. But man, when we're talking about his his, you know, walk rate is uh, the other end of the spectrum from Woodruff. You know, Woodruff is closer to six, probably the twentieth percentile. Bauer's closer to nine, which is at the bottom. You know, uh, and and he had a two eighty seven Babbitt last year. So again, you know, if that were to normalize, similar to what we're saying with with Bieber, because um, I don't like Bauer's elevation profile either. Right, the ball's in the air too much at forty percent. And it's not on the ground enough at 37%. Um, the hard hit rate is not very good, 41 on fan graphs. I, I, I just can easily see him giving us another one of the years that's not the good one. That's kind of simplified as that sounds. I'm, I'm, I'm off power big time. I don't have a single share. Yeah, I mean, I, I can't blame you for that because it, it, he ruined people's seasons last year, right? He was yeah. the reason why some guys didn't make the playoffs last year because they really wanted to stick with him and see if he was going to turn their season around. I don't think we're ever going to see a low two ERA from Trevor Bauer again, and I think we can all pretty much agree on that, but I also don't think it's going to be as bad as it was last year, if not solely for the fact that Trevor Bauer is a tinkerer, right? He's never going to be the same pitcher month over month because he's always going to be a guy who changes what it is that he's doing um there are some things in his profile that can point to that right not the tinkering but the positive regression you have three consecutive years of mid 100 isos on that fastball and then all of a sudden you have a 304 iso and it's funny because he actually got more whiffs on that fastball than usual both in and outside of the zone the contact rate was the best it's been in years it just got hit really really hard when it did get hit so i really would not be surprised to see positive regression with that fastball um baseball savant has his zone rate in that fastball being higher than it's ever been the woba on the fastball in the zone was higher than it's ever been but also the whiff rate on the fastball in the zone was the highest it's ever been that True F-strike was where it usually is. Definitely makes his 2018 look like an aberration. It was the only year he got ahead of the count more than 50% of the time. But there are so many things that made him successful in 2018. But it looks like one of them was just setting up that fastball well. He got ahead in the count so much in 2018. He had career highs and uh, fastball usage in OO counts and CSW and zone rate, swinging strike rate. I, I, I like seeing that because it seems like that's something he can get back to. If he does, once again, he's not a you know, sub three ERA guy. He's just too cerebral for that, in my opinion. But in, in my opinion, I see that ERA coming down to the, to the mid threes again. Um, yeah. I mean, that's, I, I am in on him. I think at his price, that's reasonable. Even if he's not mid threes, even if he's a little above, if he's even three, eight with the amount of strikeouts, I'm hoping, um, like you said, he's a tinker. I think that he, maybe he's closer to 2019 than he is 2018, but um, you know, he's nowhere near, either level for me. <laughs> so I think, I think with what he's going to give you that uh, just above a mid three ZRA and all the strikeouts, I am very in on him because I think the innings will definitely be there. And especially in Roto, um, if you can live, you know, away from any kind of swings he has, I think in the end, the production will be there and I'm pretty excited to own him at least where he's currently going. Um, we're probably going to cut it off at top 30 starting pitching because <laughs> like we always do on the show, we cover every single player. Um, so the, the, to end the show, uh, we have Jose Barrios and then closing out the top 30 currently would be Luis Severino, um, who obviously, 
you know, they got bad news recently. He has forearm, uh, forearm trouble that was uh, giving him trouble since the la- end of last season. Don't know why we're only hearing about it now. There was an update that it was just a loose body, which still, um, you know, from other cases we've seen in the past. I mean, even with Tyler Glass now, I mean, that's still going to theoretically cost him months and months, even though we haven't gotten, I don't believe, an official word on what they're going to go there. So Luis Severino, is he, is he someone where – um, you'll take him at an extreme discount later in the draft, or is he someone that you just kind of kind of wipe off your draft board completely and let someone else take the risk? Um, it, it's so dependent on the league. I mean, it, it, listen, there's if there if there's a huge discount, I probably don't have a problem. We'll see what the developments are. I think he's in New York now, getting those like the, they were some crazy slew of tests that they were going to put him through. So hopefully, we'll get some answers in the next couple of days. Um, but yeah, when you hear forearm and then when you hear loose bodies, which usually means surgery in a couple months, um, that scares me. Hopefully, hopefully it is the, the loose bodies. Cause then, you know, you're probably going to get them back around the all-star break. Um, so yeah, I, I think if, if there is a severe enough discount barring something even more serious then yeah, sure. I have no problem stashing them on the IL for a little bit. All right. Uh, how about you, uh, as a Yankee fan, John, uh, where are your thoughts on Severino? Uh, it has nothing to do with the pinstripes on this one. This guy just missed a full season, and now it's a forearm issue. I have no doubts in the skill set or his heart or competitive nature or intestinal fortitude, as my favorite ring announcer, Gorilla Monsoon, used to say. But <laughs> you are a crazy bastard right now if you're drafting this guy until we get some kind of news. And I see the max pick is flying up into the high 100s, and I don't care. That's you know, crazy. I think I think his max is two hundred two at the moment. Okay, oh, I God. okay. One seventy five, and that's fine. Uh, right until I hear anything, there is only a certain amount of risk allotted at a certain draft table, and that's a lot of it in one space that I'm not really willing to go to. Yeah. All right, everybody. That is the top thirty starting pitchers. Uh, Alex, before we kind of sign off here, uh, any parting words you want to give the the listeners as far as how to attack starting pitchers this year? You are someone who typically, I think, likes to wait on starting pitchers. So, what would you kind of give everyone as far as a just a roto standpoint of uh, how you prefer to attack starting pitcher in drafts? For me, I, I feel comfortable because of how, how frequently I look at starting pitching to wait a little bit right now. And I'm I'm glad you said that because this was you know strange for me to take a picture really in the first two rounds there there is more depth than you realize and if you look at last year's adp with how many guys uh were drafted out of the top three or four hundred and ended up returning top 100 seasons look no further than a guy like lucas giolito right that that's you know not necessarily going to happen every year but there is more depth than people realize it feels weird to pass on a pitcher for another batter, especially when you already have one, especially when you already have two or three. But I guarantee you, once you get to round three or four and you're still ending up in a 12 team league with a guy like Patrick Corbin or Steven Strasburg, who I'm actually still pretty high on, you're going to be fine. You're going to be okay in a standard 12 team league. All right, John, and I, um, any thoughts you kind of want to throw to the viewers as far as uh, at least how to attack the top half of the starting pitching? How heavily are you investing into the top 30? You know, for me, I think if I, people saw, I, I have loves in throughout the tiers. So my claim to fame at fantasy drafts is I'm extremely malleable. I never – I don't want to say I don't have a plan, but I'm, don't, I'm not married to any, you know, singular outcome in the beginning. Uh 
that's pretty much it for me. You know, I'm not going to say I need a starting pitcher early, and I'm not going to say I'm never going to take one because every draft room is going to give you something different. It also depends on your spot in the draft order. So I'm just – my advice is just stay open-minded because you might say I'm not taking a starting, pitch, a starting pitcher early. All the bats go early, and now you've passed on, you know, an incredible value, and that's a, that's a mistake, you know, for being pig-headed. So that, that's the only thing I'd like to say. Yeah, definitely always have to be flexible. I will say that usually year after year, I never take a starting pitcher in the first round or second round or maybe even third round. Um, this year has been completely different for me. It's taken me by surprise and all the injuries have added to it, but I find myself not wanting to go past Blake Snell for my first starting pitcher because after that, I just kind of like to put one in the bag, so to speak, because um, even though we talked about a lot of interesting people in the you know 10 to 30 range, I'd much rather put someone – in uh, on my roster in that very top and then completely wait, take the best value in the center, whatever falls to me. I don't really care to reach for any of these guys in particular. I know, even though I said, I really like Darvish and then I really like the pitchers we're going to get into next show. Uh, there's a ton of depth. I'm sure Alex would probably would have really liked to talk about some of the later guys as well. Uh, yes, so sir, that's right. I'll let that other guy do it. <laughs> the other guy. So uh, yeah, that's starting pitch everyone. It's, it's interesting at the top because there's such a high variance of how this could go. Um, you know, the, the guys at the top are there because, uh, you know, they are dependable and you can probably expect what they're going to give you. Where's the rest? The, there's a high variance of, uh, of where they could finish five to 30. So, um, anyway, thank you for listening to the turn two podcast, starting pitcher top 30. Uh, if you want to follow me on Twitter, you can follow me at M A T T W I seven, seven I M S or the, uh, at turn two podcast, Alex, where can ch everyone chase you down? And do you have any interesting projects, uh, you want to plug coming up that anyone should uh, be looking out for? Uh, yeah, sure. You can find me on Twitter at AlexFast8. I'm going down to First Pitch Florida to speak about why we are still drafting saves wrong. And then hopefully uh, we'll talk about that further moving on into draft season. And then, yeah, just getting ready for, for labor next Sunday. Terrifying. <laughs> and John, where can everyone chase you down? Home base, anytime you want, get at me at the Twitter machine, MLB Moving Averages. And every week I do baseball stuff at the Athletic. All right, everybody. Thank you for listening to the Turn 2 Podcast. We'll be back tomorrow, probably, with the uh, pitchers 30 through infinity. We'll see how long that show is. Uh, so, uh, again, thank you uh, for listening to the show. Have a good week, everybody. My, oh, my. Put me in, coach. I'm ready to play fantasy. I know I turned two in a day, but the laces ain't hot in my veins. I can turn two in every way, so I turn to you two today and smash play. I'm prepared to listen. The x flipping whip got me looking way past the pitches. Statistics all that I know, and I know that who is on first, he can say I'm ready to go. <laughs> I ain't trying to steal second or third. Cause I wanna win first How am I to put all of these numbers to words I know the terms from A to Z It's like a gift and a curse I know the difference between a splitter and a curve But if I can't put it in the points Man, then what's it worth? I need the truth I need knowledge Found this podcast with all of it But what they call it? Turn two Turn two What it do? Win leaps Catch out Peace